the entire purpose of chapter 6 is really dealing with one thing, and that's to drive the point home that grace is not about being a free pass to do whatever you want. Grace is not this idea that because we're forgiven, because God loves us, because all of these things, and we're going to go ahead and be able to do whatever we want, and there's no consequences, there's no issues, there's no problems. The truth is, is that that we weren't saved so we could do whatever we want. It was, we were saved so we could finally stop doing the things that we didn't want to do. But unfortunately, this idea that if we're forgiven, that we can do whatever we want, it's not really a new idea. I mean, Paul's dealing with it from the very, very beginning is what we're going to see. A little too loud? Where did Nick run off to? Is it loud? Can you turn it down just a little bit, John? Our Sandman. Sandman. Our Soundman has exited the building. Sandman. We're all tired. Maybe he's asleep back there. Hallelujah. Praise God. How are we doing? Is that better? Everybody can still hear? Coming down? Good? I can't turn it off. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. You guys distract me. Where was I at? This idea that uh, that because we're saved, we can do whatever we want. Though it's not a it's not a new thing. It's been going on even from from Paul's day. We had to deal with this right from the very beginning because people got this idea that if you got saved and, and you were forgiven, God forgives everything, and you can just do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, today we have an entire denomination that so that's one of their main practices is to confess their sins and be able to to continue doing it the next week. It's like a it's like a store everything up. Dump it on the Lord, and then you can continue doing whatever you want. But the idea is that Jesus dying for us and paying the price for our sins was so much more than just a legal transaction. It wasn't this idea that you could, that you could sin, and he took care of it, so we're forgiven, but it was so much more than that. It wasn't just to give us get off of, of these, these sins and these failures that we had. The idea was it was the basis for restoring a living relationship or a full relationship with our living God. The whole point of, of being saved, being made brand new, was so that we could have a relationship with Him. It wasn't just to clear out our sin, but it was to change us so we could live a sanctified life that is worthy of being in relationship with a perfect God. Jesus' sacrifice was not for us to be taken for granted or to be treated as a parlor trick, as so many people do. It was supposed to change us. And matter of fact, if you have real saving faith, that's what happens, is it changes you. You're not who you used to be. There is real evidence in your life that you have been changed because it's not just about being forgiven and getting off scot-free. It's about having something happen inside of you that makes you different than what you were before you were saved. It restores you to that place that Adam was in with no past, no history, nothing bogging you down, no chains attached to, to the, the sin and death that was pulling us down before. We're finally free from all of those things. And that was his purpose of this chapter, saying that grace isn't about doing whatever you want, but it's actually about freeing you from those things that were holding you down before. Let's bow our head as we continue into the Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your great love and for your goodness. Father, I pray that, that uh, as we are diving into your word this morning, Father, that it would find fertile soil into our heart. Lord, I pray that our eyes are open, that our hearts are open, ready to receive the word that you have for us, Father, that we wouldn't just leave here with an intellectual knowledge 
of what we're, we're reading, Father, but we would have a true revelation of it in our heart, Father. Lord, let it sink into our hearts that grace isn't just for us to have a free pass, but it's designed to change us, to put us in a position that we can have a relationship with you, that we can speak to you face to face, that we can, that we can sing to you and worship you. We can be in the same room as you, Father, because we've been changed. We've been made clean. And Father, let that drive how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans 6.15 is where we left off. Uh, 6.14 is where Joseph finished up last week. And it says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. So last week, you remember, as Joseph was ministering on the first half of chapter 6, we saw Paul ask the question, should we sin more so that grace may increase? That was the first question. Should we sin more so that grace would increase. And here was the idea that people had. You know, if, if grace increases or abounds when there's a lot of sin, I mean, we can, we can really help God out and show how awesome he is if we just live awfully. If we just sin and do, I mean, I mean, look at how much his sin or his grace would be doing in our lives if we were just the most worthless, terrible people that you can imagine. I mean, we would really be making God look good. That's what he said. Should we Sin more so that grace may increase. Because somehow they had this idea that if, if grace is better when there's more sin, then somehow the worse we are, the greater we make God's provision. Like somehow by us being stupid, we can somehow make God better. I can tell you right now that you being stupid has never made anybody better. Ever. Not even once. <laughs> You know, we're all laughing at this now. But you would be surprised at how many times you've done this in your own life. You've thought about this in your own life. It's just like we were in here on, on uh, last Saturday and we were watching Tim Hawkins do up here. He's, he's a Christian comedian, very, very funny. But one of the things he talks about is, is he's like, you hear these people with amazing testimonies. And they get up there and they're telling about how God has changed their life and how they were at the lowest point ever and God pulled them out of it. And we're thinking, man, my testimony is nothing like that. Wish I was a crack addict. <laughs> you ever, have you ever had that thought where you start comparing your testimony to other people's testimony? That's exactly what they're thinking. Like somehow if our life was worse, we could make God look better. But he says, should we sin more that grace may increase? But the answer was the same, by no means. Now Paul's answering the con- almost a continuation of the same question. If we are under grace, shouldn't it be okay to sin? That's another thing we have to deal with that is actually probably more prevalent in today's society as we think that, oh, God forgives us for everything. We can do whatever we want. I mean... If we're under grace, shouldn't it be okay to sin? I mean, if we're, if we're always forgiven, what could it really hurt? But the answer is the same. A resounding, by no means. There was a guy named D.A. Carson. He was a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he said he used to meet with a young man from French West Africa for the purpose of practicing the German. And he writes, once a week or so, we had had enough, so we went out for a meal together and retreated to French, a language we both knew well. In the course of those meals, we got to know each other. I learned that his wife that his wife was in London training to be a medical doctor. He was an engineer who needed fluency in German in order to pursue doctoral studies in engineering in Germany. And I soon discovered that once or twice a week, he disappeared into a red light district of town. 
Obviously, he went to pay his money and have his women. And eventually, I got to know him well enough that I asked him what, would, what he would do if he discovered that his wife was doing something similar in London. And he, oh, he said, I'd kill her. And I said, and he, the doctor said, well, that's a bit of a double standard, isn't it? I asked. You don't understand where I come from in Africa. The husband has the right to sleep with many women. But if a wife is unfaithful to her husband, she must be killed. And he said to him, but you told me you were raised in a mission school. You know that the God of the Bible does not have double standards like that. And he says, he gave me a bright, bright smile and he replied, he replied in French. I'm not going to try to read it. It would just be awful. But basically what it translated to was, ah, but God is good. He's bound to forgive us. That's his job. What an awful distortion of what grace actually is. See, grace isn't about allowing us to do whatever we want. It's about changing us so that we don't fall into all of those dumb things that we used to do. The truth is, is that Christians have been using grace as an excuse to sin from the very beginning. This is what Paul's trying to head this off at the past. This was the argument already being made is that, hey, if we're under grace, we should be able to do whatever that we want. And Christians do it now all the time. It actually drives me crazy because this is always the defense. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. People are out there doing stupid. Oh, no, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. I once heard someone say, yeah, that's true, but that should scare you. But the reality is, is that if we're Christians and we're we're walking alongside together. The, the, the Bible doesn't actually say that we're not to judge one another. Now, we're not to judge unbelievers. That's God's job. But we are to judge one another within the body of Christ. We are to hold one another accountable. And it's never about condemnation, about telling people how bad they are, so we can lift them up out of wherever they're at. Because the truth is, is that when we fall back into sin, we're acting contrary to our nature of being born again. It's, it should grate against us. It should be, that's the reason why it feels weird. That's the reason why we feel guilt when we sin, because it's contrary to who we are now in Christ. And as fellow believers, when we see somebody falling, we're not to point out how awful they are, but remind them of what has been accomplished inside of them through Jesus Christ. And we lift them up and walk alongside them and help them get through whatever that they're struggling with. But we are called to judge one another as Christians. Like I said, not to condemnation, but to help them out of it. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 16-20 about joining ourselves with sin. It says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now what Paul is doing with here is that that he's addressing the Corinthian church, and it's, uh, we went through the book of 1 Corinthians last year, but it's, it's kind of a melting pot of all kinds of religions, all kinds of, of stuff. And one of the common practices was the, to, to visit the temple prostitutes. However, Paul is saying that this can't continue. This isn't who you are now. It may have been who you were, but it's not who you are now. Because he says one cannot be joined to Christ and be joined to sin at the same time time. Paul asks, would you take Christ with you and join him with a prostitute? 
And everybody knew that that was ridiculous. That would, that, that would be sacrilegious. That would be awful. The obvious answer is no. But Paul says, well, when you do it yourself, that's what you're actually doing. When we join ourselves to sin, we're doing just that. We're joining Christ to sin when we do that. Because like in marriage, when the man and the woman become one flesh, that's a picture of the church. We become one with God as well. And our body becomes the temple of the Lord. If you remember that when, when Jesus died, the temple veil was torn in two. The, the, the temple was rendered without purpose when Jesus died. Because the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, making us the temple. And the reality is, is the temple. Like, you guys remember all the rules before you could enter the temple? You had to be clean. You had to do all the sacrifices. You had to do all the stuff to make sure that you were clean. Matter of fact, if you did anything, if you even touched a dead person, you weren't allowed to go to the temple and worship until you passed a certain amount of time that you'd be rendered clean once again. Well, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, and He made us the temple. And therefore, it's to remain holy. It's to be without sin. You're not supposed to be in the temple if you're unclean. And I thank God that Jesus Christ has made us clean. But we can't keep living in who we used to be if we're somebody new right now. And then he also said to him that we were bought with a price. You know, that's one thing I think Christians struggle to longer our own. Jesus paid a very, very hefty price to redeem us. And we call him Lord because we are his. One of the, 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 the hardest statements, I think, to deal with for many Christians, and, and really all of us struggle with it from time to time, even myself and your pastors, there's nobody that's immune to this, but when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I have to ask to answer that question all the time. Because there's plenty of times that I hear God speaking to me, but I go ahead and do whatever I want to do anyway. And I have to remind myself that I, I am not my own, that I am His. I once had someone that, that used to attend the church, and he stopped coming. And when I finally talked to him about it, the reason why he, he stopped coming is because he, he felt like that, that he, we were always challenging people to live for Christ, to step out and do more. And it's one of those things I began to think about because as a, as a pastor, I'm always trying to grow the church and I'm trying to see why people are coming in and coming out. And, and the, I have to remind myself that there are some things that we can't compromise just to keep people inside the doors. Now, there are some things that will change because it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to our faith. We can move the, 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 the chairs around. We can put lights up. We can do music. Different. We do all those things differently. But there are some things we can't compromise. And one thing that we'll always do is call people to live for the Lord. Because the truth is, is that when you got saved, Jesus died for you. He paid a price for you. You are no longer your own, but you are His. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Such a powerful question. And we have to wonder in our own lives, well, why, what is the answer? Why is it that we do our own thing? But the reality is that since our body is his, we should use it as he asks. That's one of the things we know that if we, if we have something that's ours and we lend it to somebody else, we have an expectation of how they treat the thing that we lend. You know this with your kids, for sure. When you let your kids use something of yours, except for when you let a neighbor use something of yours and they break it, you're disappointed 
and you hope they replace it. If it's your kids, you're free to strangle them <laughs> for messing with your stuff. But uh, the, the reality is, is that it's, our body is not our own. We should use it as he asks us to use it. And the reality of that is that then when we got saved, we're not free from we're not free to sin. We're actually free from sin. And there's a distinction from that that everybody needs to get their head around. When you get saved, it doesn't mean you're free to sin. You're free from sin. The very thing that was holding you down. In verse 16, he goes on to say, Do not do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, this is a profound statement. I don't know if you've ever spent any time thinking about this, but he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? When somebody is a slave, they are completely at the mercy of the one who has enslaved them. That's just a reality. We see that if we, if we look in our history as, a, as Americans, we see that that actually happened in our country. And the, the slaves of, of this country, they couldn't do anything without the permission of their masters. They couldn't eat. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't go to the restroom. They could do nothing without permission, without direction. And they were also forced to do the will of their master. Now, this is something to keep in mind, that when you're enslaved, not only do you have to have permission to do everything, but you're also forced to do the will of the one that you are enslaved to. And for the Christian, the principle of slavery is very much the same. Because whatever a Christian is enslaved to, it is that very thing that has complete control over their life. Whatever you submit yourself to in obedience and become a slave to, that very thing has complete control over everything that you do. If you obey, if you obey sin or temptation and lust, then it becomes your master. It's as simple as that. If you obey those things, then it becomes your master. But if you present yourself to God, you are a slave to righteousness by obedience to God. Whatever we submit ourselves to, it's going to have its way inside of us. If you present yourself a slave to sin, it has complete control, and it'll force you to do things that you never wanted to do. That's one of the things that we'll read about, I think it's in, in, in a couple chapters, where Paul talks about the nature, or the, the two natures, before you're saved and after you're saved. And he says, before you're saved, even though I agreed with the law of God, even though I believed that it was right, sin inside me forced me to do things contrary to what God wanted. Because when you're a slave to sin, it has its way in you. And even if you want to live right, even if you want to do the right thing, you're not going to be able to resist for very long and you will fall back into those traps. But if you present yourself as a slave to righteousness, righteousness will dictate what you do. I always had a hard time understanding that statement, slave to righteousness. What does that mean? And matter of fact, we're going to talk about why that seems kind of weird even in our own ears because it's kind of contrary to what's, what, what the nature of God is like to, become a, to be uh, enslaved by him. But the idea that Paul is talking here is that, that whatever is that, that you're enslaved to has control over you. So what it means that when you're a slave to sin, slave to, uh, sin tells you whatever that you can do. But if you're enslaved to righteousness, 
That means righteousness dictates all of the things that you do. That means that you're going to do righteous things because that's what righteousness dictates you do in your life. But the reality is, is that you can only serve one master. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or else you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or God and mammon. The, re- the idea here is that you can't serve two different things. It's one or the other. You can either serve sin or you can serve God. You can't do both. Sin or righteousness, you have to take a pick. You either choose Jesus or you choose the world. But you can't live somewhere in the middle. Because what happens is, is that you end up hating one while you love the other. And we see that all the time. We see people hating God because they're so wrapped up in sin, the stuff that they, that they do. And even if they don't realize they do it, they live like they hate God. And in verse 17, is this thing not working again? broke it sorry <laughs> romans 6 17 through 19 says but thanks be to god that you who are once slaves of sins have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin and having become slaves of righteousness i am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as once For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. You know, the the one great thing about the gospel is that the gospel means it's the good news. And every time we hear about these bad things, being a slave to, to, to sin and what that can wreak havoc in your life and in your world and on your body, we find out that there's good news. You don't have to remain that way. We don't have to stay slaves to sin. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were once slave to sins, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. I don't know about you, but that is great news because I lived my life for a long time in that same position. I knew that things weren't right. I knew there was something going on and I would go to sleep and I would feel guilty and and I, I knew about God and I knew about Jesus, but I didn't understand salvation. I hadn't really received him as my Lord and my Savior fully. So I would lay at night and lay out my laundry list of sins, all the bad things that I've done, and I would ask for forgiveness, and I'd wake up the next day, and I would do them all over again because the truth was is I wasn't really free. I wasn't really, even though I didn't want to do these things, even though I hated them, even though they made me feel guilty, even though that there were times that I would, I would just be heartbroken and wrecked on the inside, I couldn't help but continue to do them day after day, no matter how hard that I tried. They kept creeping back in. Because I was still a slave to sin. But then I found out I didn't have to stay that way. I didn't have to to lay out this list of things that I couldn't do, but if I would just submit myself to God, I would receive that free gift of salvation. He made me brand new. He gave me a brand new heart. And the very things that I couldn't stop doing before, I found out that I just stopped doing them without even trying because they were no longer who I was. They were no longer part of my nature. That's the good news is we don't have to stay slaves to sin, but we can become slaves to righteousness. And that's where Paul puts this little disclaimer here. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural 
limitations. The reason why he says this is because it actually is a little weird to think of what God is doing in grace as enslaving us to righteousness. It's a very weird proposition because the reality is is that God does not put his children into bondage. God does not enslave his children. God does not force you to do anything. That is why we find out in in verse 16 that being a a, uh, slave to righteousness was actually an act of obedience. In verse 16 it says, which uh, you either obey, whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's our obedience that leads to righteousness. It's not something that that righteousness actually forces us to do. When you get born again, you're not all of a sudden forced to live perfectly. You still get to make dumb choices. Now, I hope as we grow in maturity, we make less and less dumb choices along the way. That we are at least growing, we are moving forward. But the reality, this idea of being enslaved to God is kind of foreign. So that's what Paul says. I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. Because the reality is is that we are in slavery to sin. It seemed like a good analogy for Paul to use to try to explain the two. We actually are enslaved to sin. So how about we contrast that to grace? And that's why Paul makes this argument. Because it can help us understand the impact of what has actually happened in our life. So here was his argument. He says that, as a matter of fact, the moment you were, you were saved, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness. All done through obedience to God. And being that it's done through obedience, this means we actually have to live it out. When you're a slave to sin, you actually don't have a choice. You will live in sin because that is your nature. That is who you are. But when you become born again, you receive Jesus Christ by faith. You receive the new life. You receive righteousness through the grace of God. We still have to choose to live that out each and every single day. And we do that through obedience. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And the interesting thing is, is that I don't think there are very many Christians who put as much effort into living righteous and for living for God as they did in living for sin and living for the devil. I mean, if you look, if you take a look at your past or you take a look at the people in the world around us who are not saved, they go through great efforts to live in sin. They go through great efforts to serve the God of this world, which is the devil. I know when before I got saved, I put in a lot of money and a lot of work and a lot of effort to be in places that I didn't need to be doing, doing stuff that I didn't need to be doing with people who I didn't need to be around. But I did everything I could to be there. Why is it that we can't live with the same passion and the same fervor for God as we did when we lived for the world? I think we should make it our goal to be as good of a Christian as we were a sinner. And trust me, you were a good sinner. So you got some work to do. When we were slaves to sin, it resulted in in just further sinning, further lawlessness. That's what Paul says here. You presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness leading to just more lawlessness. Because we were looking for something to fulfill us. We were, we were looking for something to, 
to, to, to fill that void that we had inside of us, but it only resulted in more searching, more impurity, more sinning, more emptiness, so more searching, more impurity, more sinning, which led to more emptiness, which led to see the pattern that's going on here. However, we can present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Just remember, we do this by obedience to God, and this results in sanctification, or rather in living out our sanctification. The Bible refers to to two different ideas in regards to sanctification. One is the reality that when you are born again, you are made perfect, you are made holy. On the inside, you are are completely sanctified. But sometimes it takes a little while for our body to catch up with the reality that's happened inside of our spirit. So then it also refers to, to being sanctified as we live our lives. The truth is, is we'll never be more clean, we'll never be more pure, We will never be more holy than the moment when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But there is a process of living out what has happened inside of you. And it's when our our physical lives begin to reflect the spiritual truth that we are justified and that we are sanctified before God. And this is what he's talking about here. He says, present your members as slave to righteousness to leading to sanctification. Present yourself in obedience to God and watch your life live out what has been accomplished inside of you. Because like he said, the reality is is that whatever you are a slave to, it's what controls you. You have no choice if you're enslaved to sin, but you you do have a choice when you present yourself in obedience as a slave to righteousness so that it can dictate all that you do. And one who is enslaved to righteousness, one who has righteousness dictating everything that they do in their lives will live righteous lives. With the primary difference being is when you have sin as your master, you have no choice. But if you have righteousness as your master, it's directed through a, we're directed through an act of obedience while not technically being enslaved. That's the, the inhuman terms that he's talking about. And then Romans 6, 20 through 21, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what what fruit were you getting at the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, one of the, the biggest arguments that I've seen for people saying that they don't want to become a Christian is because they don't want to change who they are. They think that they're free right now. They're free to do whatever they want. If they become a Christian, God's going to place all these rules on their lives, and obviously God doesn't have any fun, so that is why we can't be a Christian, because life will just be miserable if you're a Christian, because you can't do anything. You can't have any fun. Pastor, right now I'm free. Now the truth is, is that they kind of are free but not from what they want to be free from. What they're free from is righteousness. The only thing they're free from is righteousness. That's why when people try to make that argument with me, I always ask them, well, if you think that you're so free, go ahead and stop what you're doing. If you think that you're so free, stop drinking. Stop doing drugs. Stop sleeping around. Stop going to the bars every night. Stop smoking. Stop doing, stop doing all of these things that you think that you're free to do. If you think you're free, just stop. But they can't because they're not actually free. They're enslaved to those things. I know in my life, quitting smoking, and I've done a lot of dumb stuff that I've quit, but quitting smoking is the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Because I was enslaved to it more deeply than anything else in my entire life. 
but Christ set me free. And I was finally able to get free. And I know many of you have those same things in your life where, where you've been freed from something, that God has set you free, where you tried over and over and over to quit on your own, but the truth is, is that it, re- it required Jesus to set you free because when you're enslaved to sin, you're never really free from it. And then Paul asks, what benefit were you actually getting? What fruit were you actually getting at the time from, from the things of which you are now ashamed? What were you actually getting from it? When you were living in those things, did it actually fulfill? Did it actually satisfy? Or were you always searching for more as the passing pleasure of sin did just that? It passed. It's a temporary measure. It's a temporary fix. It's it's passing. It never fulfills permanently. And the only outcome was a past that they were ashamed of. There are many things in my life that you guys will never hear about because one, you don't need to, and two, quite honestly, don't prefer you know that stuff about me. And I'm sure you guys all have the very same things in your own life. The only outcome of those, those things was a, was a past that we're ashamed of. And ultimately, if you stay in that trajectory, if you stay in that path, if you remain a slave to sin and don't ever put your hands in, in, in Jesus Christ, if you never put your life in His hands, then that's where you go. The end of those things is death. But in Romans 6.22, Paul says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. Once again, Paul's using those Herman, Herman, human terms. He says, now that you've been set free from sin and slaves of God, we know that we're not actually in bondage to God. We're not actually his slave. But in contrast to the way that sin had its way in our lives, that we're being enslaved to God, to fit the analogy. I actually think that's why in other writings you see him use the term bond slave, because it's a more accurate depiction. Rather than, he uses slave in this analogy because it it contrasts perfectly to what happens in sin, but in other places he uses the word bond slave because what that was is when a slave was set free, they had the option to remain and serve of their own free will, but they were still obedient. Matter of fact, when they did that, and I don't know if it was worth it, but they would go and nail their earlobe to the doorframe to show that they wanted to stay there. I would have just said, take my word for it. But they didn't. They, they, this is what they did. But they, they, they chose to stay and serve them because they loved their master. They loved that they had provided for him and they had done everything for them. And they, they loved their master, so they wanted to stay. That's what a Christian is like. We, we stay and we, we live in obedience because of, of God's great love for us. And our, our natural love in response to his love for us is to stay and to serve and to be obedient. But he says, but now that you've been set free from sin, you've been slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Like I said, we are are free from sin and not free to sin. But if we'll actually live our lives in obedience to him, what it leads to is a sanctified life. What it leads to is a life set apart for God, for the service of God, and ultimately as being a slave to God is the result of being born again, then we are going to receive eternal life. And then we'll end the chapter here on verse 23. 
It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, the reality is, is the opposite of eternal life, which is ours through sanctification, which is ours through trusting in Jesus Christ. The opposite of that is eternal death. The reality is, is that we are all eternal beings. Whether you're born again or not, we talk about living for eternity. The truth is, is you will exist for eternity regardless if you're born again or if you're not. The difference is, will you spend eternity with Jesus? Will you spend eternity living with God? Will you have eternal life or will you spend eternity in darkness? Will you spend eternity without God? Eternal death, which is being completely separated from Him and every single thing else. So many people think that, that, that especially people that aren't saved, and they, they, they like to joke about what hell is like. They like to joke about this idea that, it's, it's the, that the devil is, is ruling down there, and he's in charge, and, and everybody's having a good time, and it's just hot. But the truth is, is one, the devil isn't ruling in hell. He's in prison there along with everybody else. He's not the king. He's not the ruler. He's not in charge. He doesn't have a position of authority. He's in prison there with the rest of the demons and those who don't receive Jesus Christ. And they don't get to speak to each other. They're separated. They're, 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 it's not a good time. You're not going to be partying up in hell with your friends to go there with you. But the alternative is a free gift where the wages of sin are paid for. See, the wages of sin is death. Those have to be paid. And we've all sinned. We've all had them in our lives. Those have to be paid. So the question is, are you going to pay them on your own? Or are you going to let Jesus pay the price for you? Because he's already done it. He's already went to the cross so that you didn't have to pay them. And we have to make a choice. Do we want to pay them? Or do we let him pay them? Because they have to be paid. But if we let him pay them, it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. truth is, is that if we receive this free gift, if we are born again, that's why it's called being born again, because you're, you're, something new is created. It's not just a, a fresh coat of paint. It's a brand new life, a brand new spirit inside of you. But if we receive this free gift, we will live a life that naturally reflects the changed heart that's inside of us. If we will live in obedience to him. We'll begin to see what's happened inside of us pour out of us. And we'll begin to live a sanctified life as what has happened on the inside begins to come to the outside. And it's a free gift and it's a choice that we get to make. Because even though he's using the terminology that we are enslaved to sin, that we're enslaved to righteousness, the truth is is that, that we're not actually enslaved. God is not forcing you to do anything. God is not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to live for him. He's definitely not going to force you to receive his son. That's the reason why God is not sending anybody to hell. It's because we make the decision. You either receive Jesus and you receive eternal life or you reject Jesus and you spend eternity without him. But I thank God for the free gift that is eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. There is a reality that 
we get to make a choice. We can either receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and receive eternal life, or we can reject what Jesus has done for us, and we can spend eternity away from God. Now, one thing that I know is that hell's been talked about a lot, and we see it in our, our media today. We see it talked about, and we see so many depictions of it, and the reality is, is that there is no depiction of it that we can imagine it is going to do justice to what is actually going on there. But the good news is, is that while hell is a real place and some people are actually going to it, we don't have to go there. We don't have to spend time away from God because the reality is, is that he sent his son to die on the cross for us to pay the price that, that we owed. He, he died, died the death that we should have died. He gave up everything so that we could be made whole. And all we have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I receive that free gift. Thank you for being my Savior. And I now call you the Lord and Savior of my life. It's as simple as standing up in faith and saying, I trust you, Jesus. And I receive that free gift.